dying. We all do it. Are you prepared? Welcome to the Access Health Radio Show. I'm Dr. Brian Forrest, and this week we will be talking about end-of-life issues like healthcare power of attorneys, living wills, and DNRs on Access Health Radio. I've got to admit, Dr. Forrest, uh, this seems like a pretty morbid topic we're talking about today, but as I understand it, there are a few things that people need to do to prepare for the end of their lives, and you're going to discuss a few of those here today. Well, let's face it, all of us will face death, and in most people, it is in older age, but things can happen unexpectedly, and it is important to prepare for these times by having some basic medical legal documents in order uh, and set, Um, and today I thought it would be a good time to uh, discuss some of those. Uh, Many people have heard of living wills, uh, not a regular will, but a living will, health care power of attorneys, and to a lesser extent, some people have heard about what are called DNRs. But we're going to discuss today why getting these in order and prepared can make things a lot better for you and for your family if you suddenly become severely ill or if you die. Dr. Brian Forrest is a board-certified family physician from Apex. Glad to have you along today. And Dr. Forrest, I've heard some of these things that you've just mentioned. I've heard about these before. In fact, I had to go through some of these with uh, my parents uh, several years ago. So why exactly is it that people need to have these documents in order? Well, sometimes people know when they are near the end of life. You know, they may have had a diagnosis. They may, you know, have been put placed in hospice. And they may know that, you know, that their death is near. But sometimes a sudden tragedy like a car accident can happen. And that can happen to even young people. And most people have preferences um, or ways they would like certain situations to be handled you know, if the worst was to happen. Um, But in many times, although people sort of have it in their head, you know, well, you know, if this happened or if I was on a ventilator or if I needed life support or I needed, you know, a tube feed, if I needed to be fed artificially, um, I know what I would want, but they haven't really told anybody else and they haven't set up any documents to really give others the authority to handle that. And let's face it, if you're in such a situation that you're on life support, You're not going to be able to tell the doctors and the nurses and the hospital then what you want. And so uh, sometimes these things can catch us off guard. So so planning and having some of that uh, ready is really uh, beneficial. You know, I've been in some family situations myself where I saw aunts and uncles squabble over what was the best thing for a dying family member on life support. Um, You know, working as a physician in the uh, intensive care unit at both Wake Forest University and UNC hospitals, you know, I've seen families struggle with making these decisions when a loved one was in a coma or on life support, ventilators, or, or even what, what we declare brain dead. And it's a really tough time for families to have to make those type of decisions. And it makes it much easier on them, regardless of, you know, what your wishes are, If they know exactly sort of what to do, it gives them some direction. You know, it's already tough enough emotionally for families uh, when something like this is happening. So, you know, having at least the sort of the end of life decisions taken care of is very helpful. So the bottom line is, 
making it so that your family knows what you want to happen in certain situations is important, uh, especially if you can't tell the doctors yourself. And even if they know exactly what you would want, you need to make sure that you've given them and your doctors the legal authority to carry out your wishes. So, Doc, let's dive into this. Let's start with what's called a health care power of attorney. What is that, and why should people have one? Well, you know, I'm sure people have heard of power of attorneys before, but a health care power of attorney is a very specific type of power of attorney. And it's simply where you designate someone who you give the legal authority to make health care decisions for you, you know, on your behalf in case you're unable to do so yourself. So, you know, for example, if you're unable to speak, you can't communicate due to an injury or an illness, that person can then make those medical decisions and tell the hospital and doctors exactly what you would want to do in any given situation. Uh, generally, you want this to be someone you know well, someone that you've actually had these discussions about, uh, which brings me to a segue for a second, is that you know a lot of people have known family members or been married for years, and sometimes this is a discussion they've never had. And so, you know, it is an important discussion to have with family members. You also want it to be someone that you can trust to handle those decisions in your best interest if you can't do that yourself. Uh, usually with healthcare power of attorneys, there is a fee for getting this drawn up because a lawyer really needs to, to write it up as a legal document. Uh, but it's not terribly expensive. And when you need it, uh, it would be worth every penny. It's also important that uh, once you have one of these documents, a healthcare power of attorney, that you make sure that your physician and the person who you've named and immediate family members have a copy available. Because if nobody has a copy of it, it's sort of like it doesn't exist. A few years ago, uh, my uncle, who did not have any children, uh, his wife had passed away, and so I took on the health care power of attorney because I lived nearby him. My cousin, who had a good uh, business sense, uh, was power of attorney, general power of attorney. Mm -hmm. We separated them like that. Yeah. Uh, he lives in the Greensboro area, and uh, it, it came in handy. Mm -hmm. And I was glad that I was able to uh, to help my, uh, my uncle in his final years that mm -hmm. way. Time now, Doc, for our Access Health Tip of the Week. We'd like to uh, thank WeCare uh, for sponsoring our Access Healthcare Tip of the Week. They provide great service, unmatched low prices, and even local free delivery. They're located in Apex, and their phone number is 919-629-6010. And you can also look them up online at wecareofapex.com. Our tip of the week this week is that, you know, we've been talking about healthcare power of attorneys. Our tip is to make sure that if you make someone like your spouse your healthcare power of attorney or someone else who lives with you, to make sure there is a backup in case that person is injured or incapacitated by the same thing that happened to you. So, for example, if there's a house fire and you and your wife are involved, and your wife is your healthcare power of attorney, she may not be able to, to meet that need because she may be in the hospital as well. Uh, so you want to designate a backup uh, healthcare power of attorney that knows you well, that you trust, and that knows what you would want in any given situation. But preferably for that backup, make it someone that does not live with you or that travels with you on a routine basis. 
That is some great and practical advice, uh, Dr. Forrest. I appreciate that. I'm sure a lot of a lot of our listeners have thought about things like this, but uh, may not have known exactly what they needed to do to get that taken care of. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, straight ahead, Dr. Forrest is going to discuss some other legal documents that are useful for emergency medical situations. And of course, our Access Health Trivia of the Week is coming up as well. This is Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. I'm Mike Davis. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday. Dr. Forrest, if people want more information about this really vital topic that we're talking about today, and that is uh, DNRs, health care power of attorneys, other documents that we really don't think about a whole lot uh, until sometimes it's too late. So thank you for bringing it up today. If folks want more information about this topic or they'd like to find out more about your practice, uh, where can they go? to find that well if after the show uh, they have family members or they missed part of it and they just want to go back and listen to an on-demand podcast they can do that at wptf.com and we also will provide links to that on our landing page at accesshealthradio.com if they'd like information about our medical practice in apex north carolina they can go to acchealth.com that's acc H-E-A-L-T-H.com, or call us at 919-363-0190. Again, that's 919-363-0190. And if listeners want to send general non-emergent questions and possibly even have those questions answered on the show on one of our mailbag shows, uh, they can go to our website at accesshealthradio.com or send us an email at accesshealthradio at gmail.com. We're talking about what may be considered a morbid topic today, dying and being prepared for end-of-life situations, but it's something that is vitally important. And Dr. Forrest, I appreciate you bringing this topic today. Now, you mentioned earlier uh, a living will. Now, what is that, and how is that different from the health care power of attorney you were just talking about? Well, a living will is basically just a set of if-then statements. It is sort of like a healthcare power of attorney, but it only applies in specific situations, and it's predetermined by you as the patient. So no other person is involved in making the decision. Some people also call this a wishes document. And in the past, uh, the North Carolina Medical Society and Bar Association have actually published these for free, and you could just sort of fill in the blanks, and uh, you were done with it. And the advantage to the living wills or wishes documents is that you do not necessarily have to have a lawyer to put this in place, and it can also be done for free. Essentially, the way these are constructed is there's a few statements like, if you were to require a ventilator to breathe and you've been determined to be in a persistent vegetative state, some people also would call that brain dead, uh, then you either want to continue life support or you would want to stop life support and be removed from the ventilator in that situation. You know, it's your choice, but you just check a box which one of those you would want in that situation. Another example is... You know, if you can no longer feed yourself and require IV nutrition to live, you either would A, like to continue tube feeding and IV hydration, or you'd prefer to stop artificial feeding. Uh, so the choice is yours. You know, these, these living will type uh, documents, it's you just check a box for these 
kind of common situations, and it's basically you're making the decision. Nobody else is making that decision. You're saying if this certain situation happens, this is exactly what I would want. And if you've had this document uh, completed and you've legally signed it, then you're directing hospitals and doctors what to do in certain situations, even if you're unable to speak at that point. So make sure that your immediate family members and your primary doctor have a copy of these uh, once you've completed them. That is great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Forrest. I knew that most people recommend having a will, but a living will, I bet a lot of people simply not thought about that. Now, you mentioned earlier a third legal document. It's called, I believe you said it was a DNR. What is that exactly? A DNR stands for Do Not Resuscitate Order. And in North Carolina, and I think in most other places, it's a bright yellow form. It has large, bold print that directs emergency personnel or doctors not to do CPR or to shock people with the paddles in the event that you stop breathing or if your heart's not beating properly. Now, most of us would want to have CPR done on us or be shocked back in most circumstances, but there are certain circumstances where that might not be true. What about a terminal cancer patient that has maybe a less than a week to live? You know, what about somebody that knows they're going to have to remain on life support in order to keep living because they're terminally ill or injured? And in those cases, many people fill out a DNR or do not resuscitate order so that they do not end up getting resuscitated uh, where there is no likelihood that they're going to recover or return to a non-terminal prognosis. The key is that it is your decision as a patient. Unfortunately, I have seen over the years patients that had terminal illness uh, in some instances revived multiple times in one day. Uh, you know, I've seen people where they were shocked over and over and over again back to a normal heart rhythm in people who were terminal patients because nobody had directed them or said that that it was okay to stop, you know, those heroic life-saving measures at some point. Um, and so I've also seen that happen multiple times in a week, you know, where an ambulance or rescue squad would go out two or three times in a week in somebody who had a terminal diagnosis. So again, it should be up to the patient. So there may be some people that say they want to be revived by CPR and shocks over and over and over again, as long as it keeps reviving them. Uh, others may want it to stop after, you know, one previous resuscitation. Um, you know, many people of very, very old age and skilled nursing facilities will have these yellow and red signs in their room. So, you know, if you visit, you know, family members or relatives in, in uh, nursing facilities, many times you'll see these bright yellow documents with a big red stop sign on it. And that's what a DNR is. So if you see one of those, you can look at it and, and see it. But it's just a one-page form, and it just means that they desire – that if their heart stops, if they start breathing, that no CPR uh, should be performed. And again, it's important that if someone does make a decision to have one of these, a family member or yourself, that you have it clearly posted where you live so emergency personnel will see it. So, you know, if somebody stumbled upon you at your house and they called 911 and the ambulance came, you'd want that, that sign to be very visible. Many people put it by their front door or they put it on their refrigerator or, you know, very near where they would be. Uh, and then also make sure that you inform family members 
about that you've done this, that you filled out a DNR, so they can also let medical personnel or doctors and nurses know uh, if for some reason they don't see the form right away. Usually we do require either somebody who, uh, you know, on good authority says that's in place or to actually have that document uh, before we would be able to execute it. So that's very, very important. All right. Thanks, Dr. Forrest. Again, great information today. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to summarize the key information about end-of-life planning. And of course, uh, it wouldn't be complete unless we have our Access Health Radio's Trivia of the Week, and that's straight ahead. Welcome back to Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. I'm Mike Davis. We're talking about end-of-life planning. And boy, there's been a lot of great information uh, today, Doc. And I'm going to get you to sort of wrap that up and summarize it in just a minute. But first of all, it's time now for our Access Health Trivia of the Week. According to Reuters, nearly 37% of Americans have advanced directives for end-of-life care in place in case they become seriously ill or unable to make health care decisions. Uh, you know, they roughly half the people with living wills or other types of advanced medical directives were not suffering from a chronic illness at the, at the time they, they did the research. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a good snapshot of where people are. Uh, researchers looked at about 150 studies published between 2000 and 2015 reporting on advanced directives, and the studies included both healthy and sick people. And the research team found that about 37% of adults completed an advanced directive of some kind, with 29% of people having a living will, 33% of people having a health care power of attorney, and 32% had something else as, as an undefined advanced directive. So uh, there's a lot of people that need to work on their planning because it looks like only about a third of people have taken care of that. That's right. That's right. And hopefully today's program will help them uh, get, uh, get moving. So what are some keys to remember from today's program, Doc? Well, first, no matter how young or healthy you are, you should do some end-of-life planning and consider having one of these advanced directives in place for when you need it. Uh, my mom likes to say all the time that we have no guarantee of tomorrow, so you know any of us can step out in traffic anytime. So second of all, notify immediate family members of the existence and location of these documents. If nobody can find them when they're needed, it's like they don't even exist. And lastly, don't forget your doctor. Make sure your doctor is aware of your wishes. Make sure if you've done legal documents, uh, DNRs or healthcare power of attorneys, make sure that they know who those people are, that they have the contact information they need, and preferably they've got copies. Uh, and at a minimum, I recommend living wills to patients. Uh, the healthcare power of attorneys are great, but there is a cost associated. And DNRs are really only needed in, in special circumstances. All right. Thanks, Dr. Forrest. Uh, more great information this week. But that concludes uh, all the time we have. Yes, and our scripture of the week this week comes from Philippians 1.20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Thanks for listening to the Access Health Show this week, and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health.